Welcome to the Divorce Angel Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Summerton. Attention business owners, senior managers and executives, your successful separation begins right now. We have the answers to the questions you did not even think to ask. Let's face it, you're already successful in your career and we're here to help expand your knowledge and limit your costs by designing a strategy for your divorce. We take all that business knowledge you've acquired and we put it to work. With proven strategies, systems and processes, we've saved our clients tens of thousands in legal fees and helped define their future. And now we're doing the unthinkable. We're revealing the secrets the lawyers have tried to hide and giving you our formula for five steps to a seamless divorce. We're changing the world one divorce at a time, so stay tuned. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to this week's podcast. I wanted to talk today about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is a property. So as you will have known, if you've been listening for a while, when I uh, got my financial separation from my husband, I purchased uh, three investment properties with that money and I still have those properties to today and I just love the thought of capital growth and, um, you know, money working for me when I go to bed at night, my money working hard for me. Now, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm nothing like that. Everyone needs to do their own due diligence and really look into what they want to do when it comes to investing their money. But that's not what I want to talk to you about today. What I want to talk about is keeping the family home. And it can be a real bugbear and a point of contention for the majority of people going through a divorce. The family home is not only the greatest asset that a lot of people have, it also has such a strong emotional connection that people just are not willing to give it up easily and in a lot of cases it's what most people fight over. What I've noticed so dealing with all of the people that I help is that people don't fully understand firstly the consequences of keeping the family home or secondly they think that it's just simply a swap. They think, well, if the other person is going to take X amount or I'm going to get this much of a percentage, a financial percentage from our split, I should be able to keep the house. And it doesn't work like that. And I see a lot of people really get frustrated when I sit down and explain to them, it doesn't, that's not how it works. Like there's so much more that has to happen before you can actually keep the house. And not just that, you need to understand if it is the best decision for you. So what I mean by that, sometimes people just want to keep the family home because they want to say, well, I got the house or I won because it could be perceived as the person that keeps the family house actually won out of the divorce. If you're the sort of person that thinks that divorce is about winning or losing, I can honestly tell you it's not. If you go into divorce thinking that there is a winner or a loser, uh, it doesn't work like that. You if you've ever heard me talk about Aini, Aini is the law of reciprocity. If you do not give your ex-spouse what they are entitled to or you try and trick someone, 
the universe will come back and bite you on the bum. Now, whether you believe in this or not, you don't have to, but I've watched it time and time again. I've seen people that have tried to, let's say, do the nasty to their partner and something has always happened to make them regret the decision. I had a guy ring me this week and he said, look, I really want to be fair with my ex-wife. I really want to look after her. I want to give her a house and I want to I want to make sure her and the kids are okay. And while I was talking to him, I was thinking, wow, this guy seems to be really nice and caring. And then as I was going through my conversation and asking him some other specific questions, I realized by the hair standing up on the back of my neck, he was actually doing the complete opposite. And I had to say to him, I'm really sorry. I just don't work with people that do not want to be fair and equitable to both parties. So he was trying to make out like he was looking after her best interest. He was trying to make out like she was important to him but actually he was protecting his own self-interest and I'm not interested in that. I want both parties to make sure that what they get is fair and equal. So let's talk about property and divorce. So what you need to know is not only because of the strong emotional ties and in a lot of cases, the big visions that people have for property. So they have these visions of either we're going to renovate it or they've newly, you know, they've just recently finished building it and putting a lot of work into it. Maybe sometimes that's been the crux of the relationship breakdown because building or renovating really puts a lot of stress on a relationship anyway but if there's a relationship that's already a little bit fractured it can be enough just to send it over the edge and the uncertainty of what the future looks like without that house is sometimes what people fight for because they've got this vision of what their life was going to be they've got this vision that I'm going to live in this house my children have got their you know their special bedrooms who knows what, you know, where the house has got a pool or whatever. You've worked really hard to get this asset and the picture that you're now looking at is what you've fought so hard for. So to give it up is not easy. So do you sell it or what should you do? And the truth of the matter is you need to first and foremost understand if you can afford to keep the property. And keeping the property isn't as simple as just your ex handing over the title. It's understanding whether the loan needs to be refinanced and if you can service the loan once it's refinanced. And people don't often understand this, especially sometimes that they think that it's just as simple as a spousal to spousal transfer. So what I mean by that is every property has a title and that title is registered at the land titles office. And on that title, it explains specifically the names of the people and the, the percentage of ownership that the person has on the property. So for instance, 
In a lot of cases, if one party has a business, the other party might own the property as a protection mechanism if they were to get sued. So let's assume that um, a wife owns a business and they put the family home in the husband's name. So the home might be 100% in the husband's name. What that means is the husband has the ability to sell the house at any time because the wife is not on the title. So legally he is seen as the actual, the owner of the property. When it comes to selling a property though, the family court sees that both parties have an interest in the, in the property. So they're both entitled to the equity or the split of equity within the house. What you might do though, if you're the person that is not on the title of the property and you're worried that your partner might sell it, in a lot of cases it might be a good idea when you get legal advice to actually take a caveat out so you are notified if something happens and the property is put on the market to be sold. But upon separation, selling immediately might not be the best idea. I did have a client like this once. Her and her husband separated and within three months, the house was put on the market. The husband had then gone and bought her a unit for the kids. And some eight months later, when I finally spoke to her, she said, I don't even like where we're living. I would never, ever have chosen this. And she found herself in a really precarious position because they'd gone and spent stamp duty on this unit that she really did not want to live in and she found herself in a, in a worse position. So my advice always is before you go and buy something new, you should consider just for a short period of time at least renting or just getting your life sorted out because you might not want to live in the same area that you live in right now. But back to the question on, you know, should you sell right away? Upon separation, it's probably best to understand what you're entitled to first and foremost so you can really understand what financially your future looks like and really weigh up if keeping the house is the best idea for you. And can you make it work by holding the property and selling it at a later date? There's so much that needs to be weighed up because, you know, it costs us so much to get into a property. Stamp duty is really expensive. And what a lot of people don't take into consideration either is when you're paying back a mortgage, you're paying it back with interest on top of it. So majority of times we are paying double for a house than what we we initially pay for it only because of the interest that we are paying back on the loan. So you want to make sure that you are getting capital growth and it is in an area where it will continue to get capital growth. So selling a property is not always the right thing to do. You, you might be able to keep it and rent it out, but there's so many things that need to be weighed up, capital growth, um, any tax implications, all of those sorts of things. So it's not just as simple as saying, I want to keep the family home. Some people have said, you know, can we both live in it? And that all depends on the relationship and how amicable you both are. But if you guys both want to stay in your house and, and it fits for what you want in your life, 
you can do anything you want to do, really. It's up to you. Just because the law says that you've got to get this sorted out and finalised, if you weigh up the consequences of why you both want to continue to live in it and it makes sense for you, you can pretty much do what you want to do. But some couples even you know, have a binding financial agreement or some sort of formal agreement with we're both going to live in the house to a certain date and then we're going to put it on the market or one of us might be able to buy the other one out. Any amount of possibilities, you just need to come up with it and whatever works for you can most probably be written into some form of legal document. But you got, you know, you both got to be agreeable and you might not even you might not even want a legal document. You might want to just have a handshake agreement between the two of you. But you do need to be careful when you do something like that because if one of you outgrow the other or meet someone new or want to move on and you can't because you have nothing to fall back on, it can make it a little bit difficult. And in every every different relationship, those sorts of situations need to be weighed up and looked at. We once, I think I've spoken about this in a previous podcast too, one of our lawyers once had a client, her and her husband put a wall down the centre of their house. She lived on one side and he lived on the other. So it became like a dual ock sort of property. And she finally decided that she wanted to sell and move out of the house. And he was so, so set there. He just did not want to move. And she couldn't she couldn't get him to move. They'd actually lived like that for 20 years after they had divorced. So they divorced and lived there for 20 years, but never ever had a, a binding financial agreement or any sort of agreement in place. So it was very hard for her to be able to get him to move. And I think in the end, if I remember correctly, she had to get a court order just to be able to sell the property. And that's what you've got to weigh up. Like it might work right now, but if you don't have anything to fall back on, it can get very difficult. Can one partner take over the mortgage? And the answer is unfortunately no. Now I've seen this happen very regularly where people think, oh, well, no, my partner's just moving out. Um, I'll keep the house and I'll just keep paying the mortgage. I can afford to keep paying what we're paying right now. It doesn't work like that. The banks will not allow you to take over a mortgage on a property, especially if your partner is also on that loan. They will want to make sure that that loan is refinanced into your name only. Now, if you can't service that loan, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to keep the house. And that's why it's really important to make sure you have a strategy. You hear me talk about this all the time. It's so important, especially because it's one of our business pillars, that our clients do a divorce roadmap and we do the strategy. And this is all part of what we do. We want to make sure that the client that we're working with can actually keep the property. Because if you can't, you're wasting your time on legal fees arguing over a property that is something that you're not even going to be able to keep. And I see this, see this so often and it frustrates me. Like the lawyers, they don't get this part of it. It's really important to understand what it is that you can and can't achieve. 
Can I change the title of the property from joint ownership to sole ownership? Now, the answer is yes to this question, but it can only occur when the family court has stamped either your binding financial agreement or your consent orders. The reason is when you refinance the property, the bank will want to see the consent orders or whatever legal binding document you have to support that the transfer is taking place. The other thing is, especially here in Australia, If you do it this way, there's no stamp duty implications because it's a spousal to spousal transfer. The next question I sometimes get asked is what happens if the house sells for less than the value of the mortgage? And unfortunately, especially in this current environment that we're living in, like the world is going into what seems to be probably a recession. And if property markets decline and your mortgage is at a very high LVR, it might or it could possibly mean that the property will get sold for less than what your mortgage is. Now, if that happens, you need to make up the difference in the mortgage, which is nothing. That's not a good thing to happen. You don't want it to happen, but you might have to sell other assets or things like that to pay back the shortfall in the mortgage. You might even need to borrow money or unfortunately what could happen, the debt that you owe the bank when it's sold and the mortgage is paid down, unless you've got something to be able to cover that, you know, the bank can even force the sale of other assets or other things that you have to be able to make up the difference in the debt. But you will be responsible, you and your partner, for paying back that debt. Now, if the loan's only in your name, legally, you are the one that is responsible for paying back that debt. That's why it's so important to make sure you get legal advice. And what happens if the mortgage isn't paid? Now, when the mortgage isn't paid, unfortunately, the consequences are really poor credit ratings. And when you become independent, the most important thing that you need is a really good credit rating. Whether you need to get um, gas or electricity or water or a phone bill or take a car out on a higher purchase or a loan, they will always want to look at your credit rating. So you want to make sure no matter what, that you continue to pay your mortgage. Now, if you are struggling, you need to ring the hardship department in your bank and let them know what's going on. They might even just take it from a principal and interest repayment and make it an interest only repayment. But at least you're paying something and you are keeping in contact with them. And so make sure that you do that. Make sure that they are right across what is going on. Now, some clients might ask, if I'm going to pay back the mortgage and I'm not living in the house, can I get that money back later on? And the answer is possibly. You can sometimes add that back into add backs when all of the assets are sold, but it depends on your specific circumstances and it depends on what other assets, income, ages of children, all of those sorts of things need to be taken into consideration when we're talking about add backs. So I suppose what I'm trying to say here, the fastest way that you and your ex can reach a financial agreement and create some form of court order 
And the the true value of what your net position is as a couple, then the quicker you're going to be able to move on with your life. And whilst a lot of people do not want to sell the family home, if it is inevitable, my advice to you is take a deep breath. And unfortunately, even though you are emotionally attached to the property, just if the timing is right in the market or if the market's not moving, if you have to do it, just do it. Because the quicker you can get it done, the quicker you can move on and untangle yourself from the financial relationship that you have with your ex-partner. Now, if you'd like to know more about how we help clients with this, a roadmap is a really clever way to do it. It's where we work out a lot of the stuff that we've spoken about today. And as I said, it's one of the pillars of our business to make sure it's clear in our strategy. And we'd be more than happy to help you out. Just get onto my website at www.tanyasummerton.com and have a look. Or you can contact me um, via the website as well and we can have a chat about what's best for you. All right, that's it for today. I wish you a really great week and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Angel podcast. Go behind the scenes of my business to learn the secrets no one else will share. Deep dive into the Divorce Angel process and listen to our most popular episodes over at tanyasummerton.com. If you love this episode of the podcast, do me a favor and head over to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review so we can reach more people and change more lives. That's all for now and I'll catch up with you next week.